Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Trojan Talk Podcast. Welcome to the 2021 USC football season. And now that we are in season, we are going to be back to the weekly podcast schedule. Normally, we will be dropping the podcast on Monday or Tuesday. Haven't decided which day yet. This week, we go a little bit later. We had a special guest lined up for this week, but a late scheduling conflict fell through. But that's why we were taping later in the week. But we recovered just fine because we are joined today by the esteemed USC beat writer for the Orange County Register, Adam Grossbard, a great friend of mine, and the San Jose State beat writer for the Mercury News, Vitas Mazeka. And you know what? I did it again. I didn't introduce myself. I am Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com. And we will have a variety of guests throughout the season on the podcast. My familiar co-host, Max Brown, will be here most weeks. But today, we have a fun discussion with Adam from the OC Register. Our Trojansports.com subscribers know most of my opinions about this team by now. I've been reporting all preseason, been talking, answering questions, giving my input. It's good to have a different voice come in and offer their perspective as well. So we're thankful to have Adam on the show. So without further ado, let's bring him in. Adam, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's good, Ryan. Glad to hear you giving yourself some flowers. <laughs> I, I never introduced myself, and then I thought, you know what, that's kind of presumptuous of me to assume that people listening know who I am, even though it is my podcast. Either presumptuous or humble, but either way, <laughs> good idea. So anyways, I'm Ryan, he's Adam, we're going to talk about USC football, the season opener with San Jose State on Saturday, and really just our takeaways from camp, and then we will have a couple other guests at the end of the program. Adam, we've covered three and a half weeks or more of uh, a preseason. I'm going to start broad and get specific with you. What did you learn about the Trojans this preseason? I think that defense looks pretty good. Like It's always hard to tell when they're playing the same opponent over and over again, and Todd Orlando does not take it easy on the offense. He just dials up blitzes every single down, but that defense looks really good. Like They got a lot of really good pass rushers to complement a very strong and physical and versatile defensive line. Um, Isaiah Polamau looks ready to take the next step. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think that that defense, you know, we'll see how it goes against a very experienced San Jose State team. This is no, you know, we're going to learn a lot about this USC team from this first game. Uh, might be tougher than the next two games on the schedule. But that being said, I, I just think that uh, this defense looks ready for its uh, time in the spotlight. Well, I'm glad you started there. Good jumping off point for us. So, I have a very conflicted opinion about this in that I have many questions about the defense, certainly the nose tackle, which we've talked about all preseason. I have questions about the linebackers. I thought last year they were an underwhelming group. Obviously, there's things you can point to to find optimism in. Uh, Everyone's a year older. Kanai Malga definitely has some playmaking ability to him. Tyler Orlando, that's his specialty. But there's questions there, and I have questions in the secondary. I mean, Chase Williams is going to be the guy. Billing, telling who among a spot, but Chase has played a lot of football and it's been up and down over the years. Isaac Taylor Stewart has a lot to prove. I say all that, though, to get to my point that despite all that, I do just have a general confidence in Tyler Orlando and this defense being better than last year, and I buy into everything they've talked about about 
how compromised they were last year and how they really couldn't install a mentality or you know really leave their true imprint on things. It was really just let's get enough of the of the of the scheme down so we can go play games in that weird season last year. So I do buy into all that. Overall, what what is your biggest question about the defense at this point? Well, I think you're right. Like first off, like there are questions. Like this is not like some you know, perfect unit that's ready to just go and post goose eggs every single time out on the field. Like there's work to be done for sure. Uh, I think my biggest question, you kind of touched on it, uh, just generally depth. Like, you know, what happens if Jamar Sakona gets hurt? What happens if Isaiah Polamau gets hurt? What happens if Chris Steele gets hurt? Like, all of a sudden, you are looking at, like, a very, very thin unit with not a lot of experience. And, you know, you know, the next person up, it's not a replacement-level guy. Like, it is, like, really someone that you are going to be just rolling the dice with, more or less, every play on the field. That first unit is pretty strong. I agree with what you say about the linebackers. They're pretty underwhelming. That said... In this defense, the linebackers are not the most important thing. Really, the most important thing are the safeties and the uh, the pass rush. And as long as they've got that working for them, then you can kind of cover some of those holes in the linebacking core. Though I do expect you're going to get you know a little change of pace there somewhere halfway through the season. I think you'll see Rayshon Davis start to yes. start for the Trojans at some point. But... Yeah, I, I'm just concerned about the depth because beyond Isaac Taylor Stewart and Chris Steele, like, who are you going to trust at corner? And I'm not even totally sure I trust Isaac Taylor Stewart yet. I'm a little bit more bullish on Chase Williams than you. I'm kind of, you know, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid, but I do sort of believe what they're saying in terms of his body has started to catch up to his mind and he's looked stronger and he's looked faster out on the field during training camp but um you know if he goes down or isaiah polamau goes down or say greg johnson goes down and you have to move isaiah over to nickel i'm not really sure that Xavier alford or chris thompson are going to be able to hold water there and uh yeah i mean it's really everywhere across the board you know you can feel pretty confident in the first string but once you get a little bit past that it's you know there are question marks yeah, it's a great point. We didn't really have any true, you know, tightly contested position battles on the defensive side this preseason. I mean, aside from nose tackle, where where no one has any experience and was all kind of a crapshoot, but otherwise, no one pushed any of the presumed starters. Chase Williams was not really pushed by Alford and Thompson and, and the freshmen. Uh, I, ITS missed most of the preseason and then wasn't really pushed by anybody. You know, Josh Jackson uh, flashed at times, but then he got hurt himself, and he has never played in a game at cornerback. So uh, I think you make a very good point that the biggest concern should be depth. But that secondary, I'm I'm just going to kind of be in a wait-and-see approach with it because if you look at T.O.'s defenses over the years, the hallmarks are strong against the run and aggressive pass rush. And the flip side of that is they have been susceptible to the pass over the years his defenses have not always ranked very well against the pass and i just don't know that what isaac taylor stewart's going to deliver i mean he's he's played a lot uh, like chase williams a guy who's played a lot so he's not an unknown commodity 
but he's never really put it all together, and we didn't see anything from him this preseason. And that's not a criticism. We just literally did not see him on the field much. So I have no idea what you're going to get there, and if that's going to be the way to attack this team is is through the air, he's going to get tested a lot, and I just don't know how many of those he's going to win. Maybe he totally surprises me, but that to me is is a big question. But I go back to it, and what does T.O. want to do? He wants to be aggressive and pressure the quarterback and get in the backfield, and he has the pieces to do that. That pass rush is really impressive. Yeah, it's been really something to watch. I mean, especially, like, really, it was good for the first few practices, but once you started to get Drake Jackson in there after he got out of health and safety and started doing his thing in 11-on-11, it was like, oh, these guys are going to cause problems. I I know one of the big things for the USC defense the past several years is like, well, they can't stop a running quarterback. Like They just have no ability to contain a running quarterback. I think we're going to see something different this year in that regard because they're really, really good at getting pressure and really, really good at getting pressure on the edge. But beyond that, the guys inside are quick enough and you know, you might have someone like Nick Figueroa at tackle sometimes, you might have Thule at tackle sometimes. Like they're gonna be able to fill in those gaps and make sure that there's nowhere for the quarterback to escape. And I, I'm it's gonna be fun. I mean, it's gonna be a really fun pass rush rush to watch. It was fun to watch in camp. I mean, maybe it's because they've been going up against redshirt <laughs> freshman offensive tackles. I mean, that's definitely a consideration, but that being said, Corey Foreman with a groin injury was like absolutely dominant during the first scrimmage, as was um, Thule. He's just looks so strong right now, and Nick has really slimmed down and put on some really good muscle. Like, I, I think it's going to be a really fun group to watch, and then Isaiah Polamau has been so 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 good in pass rush situations it was really interesting to watch coming in as a nickel in those pass rush situations during the spring but he looks so comfortable at safety he's making plays on the ball in the backfield like we haven't seen so like you said they have the pieces to do what todd is good at and if they can manage that without you know as long as they can get to the quarterback quickly you know doesn't matter how shaky the defensive backs are that's true so so you mentioned Isaiah Polamau a couple times and I'm glad you did because he really has stood out I mean he's a guy that fans are very familiar with he's played a lot of games started a lot of games he's a team captain but I think this has been the best I've seen him he just looks very instinctive out there I really don't want to draw the comparison to Talano Hufanga and say that anyone is going to step in and do exactly what Hufanga did for this defense but he's that guy that can be used in a variety of ways. Like you mentioned, he can be moved to nickel. He can be used on blitzes. He's uh, been impressive in coverage. Uh, and he just looks very confident and like he knows where he's supposed to be at all times. What's been the thing that's impressed you most about Isaiah? Well, I understand why you're not super eager to make the Hafanga comparison, but I think there's a little something there. Like they obviously have different games. But, you know, we weren't able to watch fall camp last year due to COVID. But that being said, it looks like uh, Isaiah is taking a similar step forward, just in terms of he is just looks faster out there. He looks stronger out there. And I think the biggest similarity in terms of the step that Talanoa took 
between 2019 and 2020 is Isaiah starting to put his hands on the ball. And he's starting to do a really good job of coming down with some interceptions and creating turnovers, which isn't something that he has been known to do. The same way that Talanoa wasn't known as that type of guy as a sophomore. And then as a junior, Talanoa took that step and all of a sudden it's like, what can't this guy do? And that's kind of been the feel of it in fall camp. You know, we'll have to see what happens when, you know, it's a new opponent and it's not an offense that he's familiar with. That being said, it does feel like he's starting to put all those pieces together. And with that being said, let's also talk about Chase Williams here. As you know, that you're probably more confident than I am. And it's not that I'm not confident. I'm just going to take a wait-and-see mode because I've heard I've heard the Chase Williams buzz before. If you recall, <laughs> in 2019, Greg Burns had me convinced that this guy was going to be the next star on the defense and he was going to be the starting nickel and all this, and then – uh, the rug got pulled out from under us, and, and Greg Johnson slides in there and chases a backup for the next two years. So I'm just going to be a little hesitant and, and want to see it, but I will say he has looked fast out there. Um, I can't forget that goal line stand in the second scrimmage where where he had uh, two two pass breakups in that, that four-down stand there. He does look like he's playing more confident. I know that you wrote, I wrote about him this week. You wrote about him last week. What was your takeaway that, that gives you that confidence that he's ready to really elevate his game as a redshirt junior? I think it was like even before just talking to him and talking to the coaches about him, seeing the fact that he was the guy who was giving the uh, pump-up speech to the defense before the first scrimmage. I think that says a lot about you know the coaching staff's trust in him and belief in him as a leader, which is really important on this uh, defense as a safety. And then just his teammates and, you know, they're willing to listen to him. And they ended up coming out playing pretty well in that first uh, sequence. But in addition to that first, that second scrimmage you're talking about, he also had a really good one in the red zone in the first scrimmage where he had a pass breakup on second down. And then on third down, he had a tackle for loss. Yeah, that's right. So he's been making some really good plays. I, I think just the way... You know, he's a very honest guy when you talk to him and he talks about how, you know, he has to just constantly be giving himself positive self-talk. And I think that he did kind of let some of his mistakes get to him early in his career. But it feels like he's just kind of, everything's starting to just fall into place. He's making plays. He's confident. Guys are looking to him to learn from him. Uh, I just think that he is ready to take that step. Although, you know, who knows? Who knows? You know, there are other guys behind him who could come in and maybe do the same job if he seems to fall back down to what we've seen in the last few years. But I also don't think he really got a ton of opportunity last season. You know, we saw a lot of him when he was uh, in 2019, but last season, you know, all his tackles came in one game. Yeah, uh, Talanoa was healthy. Isaiah was healthy. So it's really been like a full year and a half of like mental or practice reps for Chase, where we haven't really seen him get the chance to do it in game action. So, you know, this is his prove it year, and if it's not this year, then there's a lot of guys behind him. And I think that that's definitely a motivating factor for him too. Yeah, and that's all really fair. And he's definitely the one guy that I probably sold short this whole time. I mean, I entered the spring just assuming that one of these transfers, uh, Xavier Alford, was going to take that job. 
even though Chase held the job all spring, I assumed that during the summer that all further Chris Thompson was going to take that job. And it never seemed like it was really ever threatened. And the comments from the coaches also speak volumes. I mean, Orlando is a guy who's not afraid to, to give out a lot of praise, but I'm not sure there was a more emphatic comment I heard from him all preseason than when I asked him about Chase Williams last week, and he said he's just been outstanding. He knows the Packers as well as we do. He's running around, he's making calls. Nothing but high praise for him. It was, it was just a really, you could tell that he enjoyed answering that question. It was a much longer quote than that, but that was the summation of it. And then and then Craig Nivar did say he's very Talanoa-like as far as understanding the game, seeing things, being instinctive and a student of the game. So he's definitely earned the confidence of the coaches, and I guess I should probably put a little more confidence on him. Uh, I, w- I will not be surprised if he plays well. I just don't want to go all in and then – uh, be let down again so we'll, we'll be cautious we'll be cautious we touched on the linebackers I don't know that there's there's a whole lot more to add but you, you did mention Rajon Davis and I want to go there I was going to prompt you with a question of who might surprise us this year on the defense or surprise fans and the answer I had in mind was Rajon Davis just because I mean obviously he was one of the highest rated recruits coming in and people expect big things from him but he's not opening the season with a job I do not think that means that he will not be a factor. I think he is going to get more and more comfortable in the defense and eventually just be too tantalizing, too good to keep off the field because he's really a unique weapon. And I, I know that I, I cover the recruiting side, and that's not really a part of your responsibility, so I'll just speak to what I saw when I went to see him play last year. And uh, He was the most unique player I saw all spring in that shortened spring California season and that modern day would have him lined up out wide covering a receiver at times. They would have him rushing off the edge. They'd have him in the middle. He's just his, He just moves so well, and, and his first step is so good, and he always seems to know where he's supposed to go that you can really do a lot of things with him, and I think that they will find a way to ease him in throughout the first part of the season, but then maybe unleash him later on. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, to go back to Todd Orlando last week, he kind of gave us the money quote on that, which is like when we asked him just how prepared are Corey Foreman and Rayshon Davis to contribute in this first week? Where are they in terms of learning the playbook? And, you know, he didn't reveal anything about like, you know, they're 60%, 70%, whatever. But he did say like, these guys are going to play early because you need to play them early in the season and if you give them those reps early in the season then you're going to see the light come on around week six or seven yep which is really when usc hits the real meat of its schedule and really will need you know maybe some sort of shake up on the linebacking core i don't think any of those three starters at linebacker whether it's goforth or raymond scott or Kanai mauga I don't think any of them will be able to play well enough to keep Rajon off the field once the light goes on for him later in the season. And I think he's already been playing pretty well in the special teams units. He's going to get a lot of work there. They're going to work him in at linebacker. You know, Orlando, that's his position group. So he gets to work him in as he sees fit. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him, especially later in games early on if everything goes according to plan for USC, you know, who knows, but I, I do think that he will get that opportunity. And I think that he will get a chance to, 
you know, start sometime in the middle of the season. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So he plays that rover spot, which is where Raylan Goforth and Raymond Scott are kind of sharing right now. And the fact that you have a guy in, in Raylan who was a starter last year and does not just kind of win that job back and he has to share it with Raymond Scott, I think speaks to the lack of production they got last year and just how it's very much unsettled and open. And I think that right there provides the prime the prime opportunity for Rajon Davis to step up as the season goes along. Corey Foreman, you know, as we were doing this podcast, the official depth chart came out, and uh, it's no surprise to any of us, uh, Corey Foreman is the second team defensive end behind Nick Figueroa. Uh, that may elicit a reaction from fans who say, well, wait a minute, this was the, the five-star top national prospect. He's not even going to be a starter. USC has the luxury to ease him along they have Nick Figueroa who might be the most underrated player on this team who actually led the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year they have Tuli Tui Pelotu they have Drake Jackson at the b-backer position on the other side uh, they don't need to force Corey Foreman to do more than he's ready to do so it's been clear for weeks now that he would be brought along on his own timeline he would be eased in but he's going to play uh Tio said this week he's going to play Vic Soto said we'll give him as much as he can handle so you'll see him rotate in there you'll also see him out with the the aforementioned first team guys on on third downs and clear pass rush downs uh because his just natural pass rush moves are game ready I mean he, he is ready to make an impact in that way he just doesn't have the full grasp of the entire defense where he knows every responsibility on, on every every play, how to react to everything. Because when you play defensive end in high school, your job really is to just go get the quarterback. It's, it's a pretty simple job uh, in most high school defenses. And I think he's having to learn a lot about the nuances of the position, which he certainly will over time, I'm sure. But he can be an effective uh, cog now just uh, in this role he's going to be in. Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to see a lot of him on third down. I also think, similar to Rajon, that as the season goes on, I wouldn't be surprised to see Corey starting. That doesn't mean he's going to take the job from Nick Figueroa. But what I think we'll probably see happen is like the one position where it seems like USC doesn't even really know who's going to start. Just looking at that depth chart, is that nose tackle? They got three guys listed as the starter. And so I think most likely what we might see happen during the season is you see someone like Thule move down to nose tackle because he's shown with his strength and size yep. that he's capable of that. You put Nick at just DT, and then you put Corey at the end. Exactly. And with that, with Drake Jackson at the B-backer, like that is a fearsome hash rush just with the four of those, let alone once you start blitzing guys. So I, I think Corey will be brought along, similar to what we were talking about with Rajon. I think he's going to get his chances. He has been really, really, really impressive uh, in pass rush situations. Like It's kind of like, oh, here's Corey. Got to watch him on this next play whenever you see him go in there in those situations. So, I mean, once he figures out the nuances of defending the run and keeping the contain and everything else that they're going to need him to do, I... I don't see any reason why he won't be part of that starting defensive line. Yeah, so, so the fans probably don't know, but we're allowed to watch practice uh, Tuesday, the whole thing, and then the first part of Wednesday, but on Tuesdays, 
after the first 50 minutes, we get moved up to the top of the aquatic center. So we're looking down over everything. And there's been countless times this preseason where, whether it's me or you or another reporter, will say, uh, Corey Foreman versus Cortland Ford. Let's watch this. And it's just appointment viewing every time. And as much as we've hyped up the redshirt freshman tackles, which we'll get to in a little bit, they've really had their hands full with, with Foreman and Drake Jackson. Uh, but, but, but Corey, like right away, just being a factor in that pass rush. Uh, just last two things on defense. The nose tackle spot. Yeah, I wondered going into, into camp if they would consider, hey, let's get our four best guys on the field, that being Foreman, Figueroa, Tui Pelotu, and Drake Jackson. And, yeah, Tuli's not a typical, prototypical nose tackle, but the other two guys haven't really done anything. So is is it really going to be that much of a drop-off if you're playing him out of position? I, I'm interested to see how much we see it early on and if that just really does evolve into what it becomes once Foreman's more ready for a bigger role. We will see. But the, the Stanley um, Taufu. I, and I really wish I knew how to pronounce it, and I, I hate that I butcher it every time. I'm going to have to really work on that this week because he's he's now a factor. But but his his story is just <laughs> incredible, and it speaks to where that position stands. Like they were razor thin in the spring, and we did not hear his name. Okay, most people did not know he was on the team until the second week of fall camp, or had forgotten he was on the team. It, we he, he has not been heard from in two two years did not get any looks there in the spring, and all of a sudden, over the last two and a half, three weeks, suddenly he's now a, a co-starter at nose tackle. And I'm not set, putting any limitations on what he can do or saying he can't do it. We'll see. It's just kind of incredible that he really came out of nowhere in the last few weeks. Just one final thought on the defense. If there's anybody else who may end up becoming a factor this season who is not going to immediately be a starter the name to me would be Kalen Bullock, the freshman safety, who has settled in at nickel as the number two guy there behind Greg Johnson, uh, already showing great ball skills, a guy they moved from safety to nickel because he can do things like, like blitz, and he is uh, adept uh, against the run as a tackler. Uh, still maybe a little raw, but I don't know. He's, he's way, way more polished than the rest of the freshman safeties to this point. And I think he's a guy that you might see factor in, whether it be through injuries or just him forcing his way on the field at some point this season. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, we all know Greg Johnson's injury history has been extremely unfortunate, to say the least. So that could definitely present an opportunity. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, though. I mean, one thing that they experimented with in the spring when Johnson was hurt was they had Isaiah down at the nickel spot. I asked Isaiah about that early in camp. He didn't seem to totally love that position. I think he'd much rather keep playing up at his natural safety spot. Um, that said, I think if he's asked to do it, he'll do it for the team. Um, but if not, then I think that does present a really nice, it could present if Greg Johnson cannot stay healthy. Uh, that would present a really nice opportunity for Bullock, who, as you said, he's definitely been the standout among all the freshman defensive backs to this point. Just, you know, he doesn't seem lost out there. You're not seeing him get burned or anything like that. He's just, like, playing, you know, it's not standout in terms of, like, oh, this guy should be starting right now. But it's definitely, he's very, you know, he's composed for his age. 
at a very uh, tricky position to grasp quickly. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get to the offense here, and plenty of discussing that side of the ball too. Again, the depth chart came out as we've been recording this podcast. No real surprises, except maybe if you weren't totally buying the Joseph Manjack hype, then maybe you're surprised to see the freshman as the first team uh, slot receiver, a receiver. Uh, really, the surprise of camp. Uh, you know, Adam. The reason why I like to have people come on the podcast is to give a different perspective than the one that our listeners and subscribers hear all the time. So I've talked about Manjack before, but but what has impressed you the most about him this preseason? The lowest rate of USC's receiver signees coming in and and really rising to the top of that group. I think just how quickly he's been able to like handle that college competition and just really. You know, it doesn't seem to really be bothering him when he's going up against any defensive back in particular. It's just very, just, just really seems to, like, understand what he's doing. The fact that he's able to play inside and out at this age, you know, learning this offense as quickly as he has is really impressive. But, like, if you're going to get it down to, like, one singular characteristic about it, I'm sure he's talked about it. But my goodness, his hands. I mean, we saw him this week on Tuesday just make some absolutely spectacular catches in one-on-one uh, right along the sideline where it almost feels like he's like challenging himself, trying to make it more difficult by doing it one-handed or whatever. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, everyone knows he doesn't wear the gloves. and It doesn't matter. Like he is, it's really a remarkable talent. Yeah, in that one-on-one period Tuesday, he was, it's not an exaggeration to say that he was the star of that period. He caught everything. He caught every single pass. He caught them on the sidelines, in the corner, over the shoulder, uh, deep routes where he made one move and and left the defender frozen and just was wide open downfield. He really did it all, and I think... You know, he's a guy that, like you said, has worked inside, outside. I think they just wanted to find a place for him eventually. Uh, they had seen enough this preseason where they said, we need to get this guy on the field, and that opening happens to be inside in the slot, so that's where he's going to start out. But he can definitely play in anywhere, and he has definitely, definitely proven that his uh, low three-star recruiting ranking was maybe a misfire by the analyst. Yeah, what are you guys thinking? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. Okay, I'm not involved in that. I, I do respect them. Definitely respect them. But everyone, everyone misses now and then. Yeah, but I, I think the one, you know, just the one little pump the brakes on Man Jack is that the one guy not on this depth chart this week is Perry Bryant. Uh, he's not on the two deep because he's in health and safety protocols. He will not be playing on Saturday. Is you know. He, Clay Helton put it as unlikely. If he were going, if there was a chance he was going to play, he would be on this depth chart. He's not. So they like his experience. I think Manjack had the better camp. But we'll have to see what they do when they have, you know, that piece back and they have to make that evaluation then. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Gary Bryant was expected to be one of the, the focal points of this passing attack, and he just has been out all preseason. He's been limited by a hamstring, and now is out with health and safety protocols. So uh, that's a great point. If you look at the depth chart, 
you don't see him on there, he will slide back in, and that could be at the expense of Manjack. But if Manjack comes out and makes his mark in game one, it could be a timeshare deal moving forward. I think there's a good chance there will be a timeshare there no matter what. I think that they are still trying to figure out who is the most reliable of those receivers without uh, beyond Drake London. Like, it's just a lot, a lot of question marks even with the guys you transferred in, though I think Tosh Washington's got a pretty good hold on his job. Um, but, I, yeah, I think there will be a lot of shifting. We're going to see more receivers than we have in past years. Uh, but that'll be... You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens when they when Gary is fully healthy. Honestly, this might be the best thing for his hamstring is that he just has to sit in his room for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, uh, while we're on the topic with the receivers, what is your expectation for how that breakdown goes? We know that Drake London's going to dominate targets. It's going to have a monster season if healthy. But how do you see the rest of the receiver room playing out in terms of stats, targets, playing time, etc. I think Taj is the number two. I think that's been pretty clear throughout camp. Um, I'm not sure if they really know who the number three guy is yet. Like, maybe it's Manjack, but can he sustain that over a full season? You know, even when Drake London was as impressive as he was as a true freshman, it still took like six, seven weeks. It wasn't really until the Cal game where you were kind of like, oh, this guy has put it all together now. Yeah. Like he is a legit dude, and he's one of the four. You know, granted, that was a much deeper receiver room in terms of experience and returning guys than it is this year. Um, so that could allow someone like Manjack to really take hold of that number three job. Um you know, they still have a lot of trust in Gary Bryant. I don't think you can really undersell, you know, having that coaching staff's trust is going to be a big part of their evaluation. Um, but, you know, he has been one of those guys, like we were talking about with Greg Johnson, he just cannot stay healthy, it seems like. So you can't really depend on him. I don't know. I, all of this is to say that third receiver spot, seems like a pretty big question that will have to be answered like through the course of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could really see a, a large number of receivers get chances early on. We, we could see a Michael Jackson III, a Kyle Ford, a Katie Nixon, all those guys kind of rotate in and get their shot, and maybe it becomes more clear as it goes on. But it's not going to be like the last two years where you had uh, three or four guys dominating the whole thing consistently. In conjunction with the receivers, we got to talk about the, quote, tight ends, Malcolm Epps, Michael Trigg, uh, who are really playing that wide receiver role that has been Drake London's role the last two years. Drake is now on the outside, but we'll be moved around. Really excited to see Epps this preseason, and we didn't get to. He came in, had a couple practices, and had turf toe injury and missed really almost all the preseason. Came back this week and is immediately atop the depth chart. Asked Clay Helton this week, how ready he was in the offense, missing all that time. And he totally brushed it aside and said, trust me, he's ready. He's been in all the meetings. He's the one teaching Michael Trigg the offense right now. So we're going to get really our first glimpse at Malcolm Epps in a game mode as opposed to the preseason. So I can't tell you what to expect there. Other than that, he's just a really, 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 really big target who is deceptively fast by all accounts. And, um, 
it, it makes it curious that he couldn't find a bigger role at Texas while he was there because he just seems like, like a unique mismatch. But maybe it all comes together and he, and he is truly an X factor this year for this team. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that being said, you know, the limited season, two of his three tash- catches last year were for, for touchdowns. Like, he's, you know, it'll be interesting. It's, like, kind of hard to say because, like you said, we really just haven't seen a lot of him. He committed right after the spring game. Um, so he's definitely something of an unknown. But, you know, the, the fact that they've been trusting him to teach Trig, which, you know, Trig learning the offense as quickly as possible is one of the most important things that can happen to this defense, to this offense this year. Like he, he, he could be a like real true X factor for this team. Just his hands. You know, we were yeah. talking about that one-on-one session yesterday. Yeah. Man, Jack was the star. The only guy who was really challenging him in that session on Tuesday. I mean, was Trig. Trig was just snatching balls out of the air that it seemed like he had no business getting up that high or just, you know, they were such fast passes and he was just snatching them with his hands, not against his body. Like, it was just really, he's something else. Like, he's just an athletic freak. And so for USC to trust Epps to teach Trig the offense, that's a pretty big task for this, the future of this offense. So I think that says a lot about his comfort level in the scheme and, you know, his ability to kind of just step right in and look like himself again. Yeah, I, I mean, Michael Trigg might might have the best hands on this team. Uh, there's some contenders. We, we talked about Manjack, but what Trigg does is it's the contested passes. I mean, it doesn't matter how much chaos is going on around him or around the ball. He is catching that thing, and it is not going to be jarred out of his hands, ever. It's hard to convey how you can tell someone has strong hands when you're watching from 100 feet away, but you can just, like, that ball does not move. And there are def- uh, DBs draped on his back, you know, on his arms, whatever, and he just catches everything. So... I don't know that he'll have a major role early this season because it sounds like he's still really uh, in the early stages of grasping this offense. But I would not be surprised if over the back half of this season he becomes that number three receiver or or there's something of that ilk where he's uh, averaging you know four to six catches a game down the stretch in the major factor. So don't get discouraged if you don't see him do it in game one, two, or three. I, I'm confident that Michael Trigg is going to be a factor at some point this year. Yeah, no question. Okay, we'll save the offensive line for last. So let's let's go to the running backs. And I'll, I'll just start by saying that I wrote about this on the site. It seems like an over-extrapolation. But watching on Tuesday the scout team period. So this is not live tackling. It's really just, you know, they're working on different formations and alignments and what they're going to go against. But the way that Keontae Ingram hits the hole is just different. Like, he just, his first step is so authoritative, confident, quick, assertive. Like, he just gets to that hole immediately, uh, head down, uh, eyes forward, makes his first cut confidently. I just even though it was an inconsequential 
viewing window in terms of what they were doing. It just really drove home the point to me of how special this guy could be. We saw it in the spring game, obviously, with the big catch and run. We saw it all spring. He was hurt most of this camp with the ankle. So seeing him this week, even in a non-live tackling situation, just reminded me that this guy is is a, is a, is a man out there. He's, he's a proven college running back. And I, I think that he might be the best running back USC has had in my time here, which is since Rojo left. Rojo. Since Rojo, yeah. I think that pure talent, it's really hard to argue. I, I agree completely with what you were talking about on Tuesday because I was watching the same thing. I'm like, am I overreacting to this? Yeah. This is against the scout team. The like, Nothing's really happening. But at the same time, he's so patient about letting the block kind of develop in front of him. But as soon as there's that hole and he hits that hole, he finds a completely different gear. He is so fast once he has grass in front of him. Like, it, it was really, really impressive to see. And I walked away from that, you know, same impression where I'm like, oh, he's healthy. Like, he is yeah. ready to go for this season opener. There's not going to be anything holding him back. I'm just kind of curious because, you know, what are they going to do? Vavai is the old favorite in that room. He's the team captain. He is the love of Clay Helton's life. And so, like, how do they divide the snaps when, you know, so far it's been pretty clear, like, Keontae is the dude. Like, he has had the best camp and the best spring, for that matter, of any of the running backs. And he missed most of this camp with injury. And even still, you walk away from what little you've seen of him, like, oh, he's that dude. Like, he juked out Drake Jackson his first day back from practice, back to practice. Like, that doesn't happen. And especially not from a USC running. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see how they handle the snap count now that they've established that these two guys are the 1A and the 1B. And that was not a joke, by the way. We we did get the love of my life uh, reference brought back to the surface <laughs> two, two weeks ago last week when when Drake London uh, let us know that Vavai Malapai is Clay Hilton's new guy who fits that label. Um, I, I think they're both going to have a role, a, a decent role. I mean, it, it's college football in 2021. Very few running backs take on an enormous you know workload of carries it's usually divided so maybe 60 percent to ingram 40 percent to vi uh sprinkle in maybe a little dose of keenan christian we're not going to see darwin barlow this week probably with his hamstring it's not official but just sounds like he's not going to play i do think that they're going to work him in though at some point so that is another wrinkle for them to figure out as much as they've said 1a 1b 1a 1b we're going to have a two-man backfield Darwin Barlow was TCU's leading rusher as a running back last year. Uh, He played a lot. He came here expecting to have a role in play, and he's a guy they see as maybe the future of that backfield. So I think they're going to find ways to get him involved and and, uh, not keep him happy. I don't think he's at risk for being disgruntled at all. That's not his personality. But I I do think they're going to want to make him know he's a part of this offense this year. Uh, even if maybe his full future is, is to come next year. So it'll be interesting. But, yeah, I, 
it depends on the offensive line, which we'll talk about in a minute. But there are reasons to think that this rushing attack could be better this year, and a lot of it starts with Keontae Ingram. Yeah, no question. But I think going back to what you were saying, you know, Graham Harrell this week said that there are a lot of mouths to feed in that running back room, and they kind of understand that, that they do need to, you know, I mean, it's it's college football in the year 2021. Like, you know, even if someone is not a malcontent, which, like, no one would accuse Darwin Barlow of being that. He seems, like, really happy to be here. Yeah. I think him and Ingram are really good friends. They are, they've become really good friends since being here. They both kind of knew about each other growing up in East Texas. Um, so, but that being said, like, if you don't think that you're going to get the chance to play at a place, you're going to start looking elsewhere. Um, that's just the reality of college football these days. Um, so I do think that they are aware that they need to keep some of those guys happy. I don't know. I, I think that if Barlow is getting, you know, a, a share of snaps, that's probably means we're not going to see any of Keenan Kristen this season. Um, because if they need to give Barlow some snaps, I don't think they can afford to do that with Kristen. But yeah, I, I would agree with you that. You know, if we're going to give one guy the real serious, like, lion's share of the snaps, it should be Ingram. Yeah, well, I mean, to what you just said, that's why week one might be a great time to get Keenan Christian some work. Because uh, when Doran Marlow gets healthy, maybe it becomes tougher to do that. And I thought it was notable that Mike Jinks brought up Keenan Christian unprompted uh, this week. And, and just wanted us to know that he had a great camp and that they're going to find ways to get him involved. So that was not in response to a question. That was just in, in the midst of talking about the running backs. So that's noteworthy to me that I think we will see him at least early this season. We'll see if he capitalizes on it. Okay, the offensive line uh, obviously was, along with the nose tackles, you know, the, the biggest question on this team, uh, probably the most important question overall, just given how it affects everything else. You have – you, you, you're just loaded at every skill position spot, and yet if the offensive line crumbles, it's hard to take advantage of all that. How has your confidence in the O-line changed? I'm not even going to say grow. Just how has it evolved since the start of camp? Well. <laughs> that says it all. That says it all. Um, I... I am just trying not to rush to judgment because I know that they will not face every week. They will not have to, every play. They will not have to face Drake Jackson and Tui Tui Pelotu and Nick Figueroa and Corey Foreman. Yeah. They, they looked outmatched for much of camp going up against that unit and Todd Orlando like we said, he doesn't pull any punches, and he blitzed a lot. It felt like every single down during those scrimmages, and that offensive line was just under duress for a lot of it. Um, so I think that they chose the right starting five. I think that Monheim and Ford were the right guys. I wasn't sure if they would bench McKenzie in favor of Monheim if they would opt for the guy who looks like he's performing the best versus the guy who has the most experience at the position. Um, I think they made the right decision 
And but all that being said, I don't feel like I know anything about this offensive line because they've just been going up against such a vastly superior unit every practice. It, I feel the same way. I, I just don't know what to expect. So in that sense, that's the only way I feel like my opinion has changed is I went from thinking they were really bad in the spring to being like, well, they might be better than I think just because they, you know, they, they're not going to be going up against this USC pass, pass rush during the season. Yeah. So it, it, we'll, we'll have to see, but that's like the most optimism I can offer at that position at this point. No, it's totally fair. It's totally accurate. I mean, there's reason to buy in and think that the, that the run blocking, the run game could be better just based on everything we've heard from Clay McGuire about. Uh, we've simplified things up front. We, we're, we're doing things in the way that Graham Harrell is, is used to them being done. There's cohesion. The old linemen are talking about how they're playing faster and they're thinking less, this and that. And it's, it's all intangible stuff that you really can't uh, pinpoint until you see it when it matters. But there's reason to think that the run run game and the run blocking could be better. It's really the pass protection that has scared me this preseason. Those QBs have not had a lot of time. But like you said, we just we don't. Is, is that a function of going against that defense, or is that what it's going to be against any good, any halfway good defense? We'll see. I I was surprised. Well, not surprised. I mean, Jonah Monheim earned that right tackle job. But going into the camp, I definitely had questions of would Clay Helton bench a two-year starter redshirt senior. And they, they they did. They gave Monheim the job. And, I mean, he really looks advanced for his age. And if he's a redshirt freshman now looking the way he's looking, he could be the next – star on this offensive line down the road, the next big NFL guy uh, in a couple of years. I mean, he really has that kind of profile and that mold. And, you know, he he did get beat this camp against the, the elite pass rushers, but he does a lot well, and he's a very conscientious guy who I think is going to learn each week and apply it and get better and better and better. So there's – Every reason to think that could be an upgrade from last year where McKenzie struggled. You can't expect Cortland Ford to step in and be Elijah Vera Tucker. It's just not a fair standard. Nope. It's not going to happen for a redshirt freshman. So there's going to be a drop-off, and that's not a knock on Cortland Ford. Elijah Vera Tucker, as a redshirt freshman, wasn't going to be what he was last year. So uh, we're going to see a drop-off there. It's just how quickly he can mature and and, uh, and grow. But, you know, I do like his upside as well. So... Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I don't know until we see it, and I'm not going to read too much into San Jose State, and we're going to have to see it against Stanford, against teams like that, before we really know where they're at. But um, I, might not even know until Utah. True. And so I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not any more confident, uh, but I also don't think I have a true grasp on it. So we'll have to see. Well, we are way over time, but let's wrap it up with a couple, with a couple last things. I, we, we really appreciate Adam's time, and I did tell him it would be uh, a lot less than it's been. So I, I have to ask you about Keaton Slovis, though. We had Antonio Morales on a couple weeks ago. I got his his take. I've obviously been very bullish on Keaton. Just a, any thoughts you have from what you've seen from Keaton Slovis this preseason? I think he seems a lot more confident, which is really important for Keaton. 
I don't think he had much of any confidence at all for a lot of last season. I think it showed during a lot of the USC early performances. He just didn't have confidence in his arm. When he started making bad passes, he started doubting himself until it was like do or die time, and then he came alive. Um, he seems just the, just the simple fact that he's willing to talk about the injury that was bothering him last year uh, makes me think that he is actually past that yeah. um, confidence issue because he would they you know they were coming up with every single excuse they could. Too dry, too wet, that away. too cold, it, too hot. Incredible stuff. <laughs> like, really, really incredible stuff. But, I mean, I get it. Like, that's what you got to do so that you're not saying <laughs> our quarterback doesn't believe in himself. Yeah. On You know, you can't do that, especially when, you know, Matt Fink's your backup. So, you know, this year I think that he is coming back a lot more confident. I think that he is um, – He's looked good in camp. He's looked good. I mean, I think that they're still trying to figure out the receiver situation. Um, You know, I'm a Lions fan, and I spent a lot of years watching Matthew Stafford just throw the ball up for Calvin Johnson. I think there might be some of that happening this year with uh, Drake London. Um, Because Drake, Drake, the two Drakes might have had the best camp of anyone this season. Absolutely. Um like really incredible stuff so i think keaton will be a lot he'll look a lot more like his freshman self i'm not sure if he's gonna take like a big step forward i can't say that i came away from fall camp like this is the best keaton slovis has ever looked like that wasn't really my impression it's also the worst receiving group that he's had not that it's an untalented bunch but it's just like not as deep and as experienced as it has been you know, he's been really lucky the last couple of years where his least experienced receiver has been Drake London. And Drake London probably will get be the highest drafted of all the receivers that yep. Slovis has worked with. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not, ex- you know, there's no more. I think Slovis will be better than he was as a sophomore. Do I think that that means that he is going to light the world on fire? I'm not totally sure, but I do think that he's going to be, um, you know, the best version of himself, if not better than the versions that we've already seen. Yeah, well, everyone knows that I'm uh, all in on him having a big season. I just I won't go into my spiel again, I've said it before, but that's where I stand, and uh, we'll see what happens. I think it's totally possible. It wouldn't surprise me. But um, I, I just didn't walk away from camp like, wow, I've never seen Keaton playing like this. No, that, that's fair. But, I mean, the offense overall just didn't didn't ever look like it was truly in sync, like in the team period. So I just – we'll see. I, and that's it, it, been the interesting thing. That there has been a real range of opinions on Keaton Slovis, and that's why I wanted to get your take and why we got Antonio's take two weeks ago and – because um, everyone kind of sees it differently, and it's very possible that I've just dug in on what I believe is going to happen, and I'm, I'm not going to be swayed off it. That's very possible that maybe I'm not seeing it clearly. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Closing. Always listen to Antonio. Uh, San Jose State, any chance you think this is an upset? Is, is there any legitimate worry uh, for USC in this game? Uh, 
I'd be surprised with that said if San Jose State, you know, creates a turnover early or scores early and, you know, forces a couple of punts, you know, you don't want to give a veteran team anything to believe in. Um, I'm not predicting that. I think USC will win it. But, uh, oh, my goodness, if San Jose State somehow does it, it's going to be a long season for us, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> maybe I just haven't uh, wanted to consider going through the, the slog that this season would become if they happen to lose this game. And I have to, uh, you know what, we're not even going to think about it right now. But uh, I, don't, I don't personally think it's going to happen, but, you know, we never know. So we'll, we'll close with a prediction. Adam, what is your prediction for Saturday? Uh, I think USC wins probably. Give them, I think they'll cover the spread. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but probably like, two to three touchdowns, maybe 17 to 21 points, something like that. You know what? That's exactly what I had. I'm picking 38 to 21, so a 17-point Never mind, San Jose State's winning. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, uh, things will turn fast if if that happens. So let's... uh, Let's just see what happens Saturday. Well, anyways, Adam, I owe you multiple lunches now for your generous time and uh, your excellent... I think in- you already paid that debt. But- <laughs> well, I'll pay it again. Your excellent insight and perspective, and we really appreciate having you on the show. All right. See you Saturday. Okay. Our next guest on the show is Vitas Mazeka, the Bay Area News Group and the Mercury News, who covers San Jose State, and will give us some insight on USC's opponent Saturday. Vitas, how you doing? Doing good. Excited to see uh, Saturday's game uh, season opener at the Coliseum. Yeah, it, well, it's been long awaited here. Obviously, San Jose State got to play the game last week, uh, so we at least got to get a glimpse of them. I just want to start with just the overall mindset of this San Jose State program. Obviously, a great season last year, seven and one. Really, kind of got some national buzz and attention. They win big last week over FCS Southern Utah. What is the confidence within that locker room, within that coaching staff, that they could actually maybe pull an upset off over this USC team? Well, uh, it's a program on the rise under uh, Brent Brennan, who enters his fifth season at the helm. Uh, he only had uh, three wins the first two years while uh, trying to remake the program, and now has this team finding its stride. Uh, 19 returning starters, including the defensive, the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year and defensive lineman Cade Hall, a quarterback who has uh, aspirations of playing in the NFL, Nick Starkle, and about half a roster from uh, Southern California who uh, wants to uh, impress their own family, at, uh, who will probably be in the stands uh, for Saturday's game. So they're very confident that they're establishing a championship culture and want to prove themselves against USC. This is this could be huge for the program moving forward. They haven't defeated a ranked team on the road since 1980. So it just speaks about where the program used to be and where I think it's headed now. Well, I, let me ask you, what do you think the chances that they could actually uh, pull off the shocker and, and uh, get the upset Saturday? I, I know USC fans are expecting the Trojans win, but I think they're also a, a little cautious in their optimism given what San Jose State did last year so 
just from from your vantage point, knowing this team as you know it, what is the possibility that they could really put a scare into the Trojans? Uh, we'll know early. Uh, obviously, uh, I think Coach uh, Helton uh, today in his uh, Zumba press conference uh, just he stressed the importance of getting to a rhythm early and I think San Jose State uh, scored on its first five possessions against Southern Utah found, found the end zone each time and I think their, their offense which is uh, returns the entire offensive line and a tough running back I think uh, they can put up a lot of points early and if they do that then San Jose State has a good chance of uh, pulling off the upset all right, well, that's definitely going to be in the back of minds uh, for all USC fans because this Trojans program has not always started so hot under Helton. They had trouble with Fresno State a few years ago uh, in the opener, so anything is possible. Let's take a closer look at this team. We'll start with the offense. When Nick Starkle came in last year, a guy who's been at Texas A&M, been at Arkansas, what was the expectation, and did he surprise people with the way he performed last season? No, well, the thing about uh, Nick Starkle is, you know, that SEC experience, you know, he's played against Alabama, he's played against LSU, he's played against Auburn. So he came in and hit the ground running uh, immediately, just uh, was very comfortable with the offense. Uh, he he knew uh, former quarterback Josh Love by uh, working at camps together and uh, did his due uh, diligence and research and uh, immediately hit it off with the coaching staff. Obviously, he, he's the big name everyone talks about, but I watched that game last week, and Tyler Nevins really impressed me. I don't know if how well-known he is nationally, but uh, he's going to be a factor in this game for sure. And He just seemed like he's hard to bring down. And he's, he's a guy who extends plays and, and breaks tackles and it just finds a way to get extra yards pretty consistently. What, what impresses you most about him? First of all, is his maturity. I mean, you can tell that he's a veteran, that uh, he's put in the work in the weight room, and, uh, you know, he just runs with a low center of gravity, and uh, not only that, but he also made a couple of big catches. So he offers that versatility between the passing and the rushing and brings balance to the offense that, you know, that's going to be needed so that the defensive line for USC doesn't just tee off on next article. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, you mentioned all the returning starters. Obviously, the one position with some turnover was that receiver. Uh, but just in general, across the rest of the offense, who else should fans be aware of entering this game, aside from Starkle and Nevins? Who else on the San Jose State offense uh, should be on the radar? Well, I think you should definitely know a name by uh, Derek Deese Jr., uh, the tight end, uh, his father, uh, played at USC, was an offensive tackle, won a Super Bowl with the 49ers, and he's a big tight end who uh, finds a way to uh, find space in the secondary, which especially down in the middle of the field, which opens up uh, the outside uh, for a bunch of young, unproven wide receivers, but that's the one, it was one of the positions that has the most depth for San Jose State. Nick Starkle, I know he connected with eight different wide receivers and hit four different ones for touchdowns, so it's not like he's got a favorite. He just looks for the open, the best matchup and whoever's open, and uh, he's a quick decision maker, and we'll find the guy that's making plays. On the other side of the ball, Kate Hall obviously is the name that comes to mind, the uh, really impressive pass rusher. What 
it's kind of sets him apart. And then who else should fans know on the San Jose State defense? Well, the thing about Kate Hall is a, a, a local guy from went to high school in San Jose at uh, Bellman College Prep and uh, just has developed. And the relentless pass rusher who will play until the whistle and uh, the same thing with his uh, bookend, Junior Fehoko, and uh, who's another local kid from St. Francis here in Mountain View. And it's just a relentless mentality that will play for 60 minutes after on the field. And uh, that's... They're going to try to make sure that Slovis does not feel comfortable in the pocket at all. So you mentioned already that you know if, if they get out and are scoring early and putting up points early, that could be a recipe for them to pull off the subset. Uh, overall, though, what other dominoes do you think have to fall in place if San Jose State's going to really be in this game to the end and, and possibly win? Well, they uh, had 11 penalties for uh, 91 yards uh, last week against Southern Utah, and you know the USC is uh, bigger, stronger, faster, and uh, they don't clean that up. Then they'll end up hurting themselves. So uh, I know that's that's a key point that Coach Brennan has uh, addressed multiple times with the media. And another thing too is they're they're a quick strike offense. That Nick Starkle likes to throw it deep. You know he uh, he had a consecutive possessions a seven yard touchdown to the backup tight end Sam Olson and a sixty five yard touchdown to. Uh, transfer wide receiver from Nevada, Charles Ross. They, they might not win time of possession, but uh, USC has to be aware that this is an offense that can put up points on the board very quickly. Let's go back to last season real quick and just kind of give our listeners some broader perspective on how special that season was for San Jose State and, and kind of maybe how surprising it was in the context of uh, just the history of the program and where it's been? Sure. No, I mean, it's been pretty lean years uh, since uh, their, their previous winning season came in 2012. Before that was 2000, and the program has not had back-to-back winning seasons as a four-year four stretch from 1989 to 1992. <laughs> so uh, the fact that they went undefeated 7-0, and claimed their first-ever Mountain West title, they had never defeated Boise State until they defeated them in the Mountain West Championship game uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, they were 0 for 14, so this was the 15th try. And they finally, they, they finally, what they like to say is they climbed the mountain, which was uh, one of their uh, slogans last year and still remains uh, to this year. I mean, it's uh, it was a big turnaround. Uh, they finished ranked uh, 24th in the nation after COVID kind of. Uh, hit them before the bowl game and uh, thin the roster. Otherwise, uh, they probably would have thought they should have finished undefeated at 8-0. So uh, there's there big expectations that uh, this is a possible uh, perennial contender from now on. And uh, that's why uh, one of the reasons Nick Starkle said he came back because he wanted to really be part of that culture and be part of that championship tradition. And uh, that kind of success also gets noticed, which is why there's there were reports last year that Arizona was uh, making a run at getting Brent Brennan yes. to take over their program, and it just there, there's you know the, the nation has taken notice of San Jose State and uh, making a statement at USC is a big way to move forward. Absolutely. Well, I, you bring up Brent Brennan. I wanted to ask, you know, what do you think is it that's 
made him the guy who was able to elevate this program and and you know do those first that you just mentioned and get them over the hump. What is it about his style or just about uh, the, the way he's built this thing that that uh, has kind of been the key to his success? Well, he he's a guy who grew up going to San Jose State games. He also went to St. Francis High School, Mountain View. He's a local guy. One of the reasons why he stayed, I'm sure, is because he grew up here. So he 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 has that honesty and that love for the area that has attracted a lot of the local talent uh, to the program. And that recruiting, uh, emphasis on local recruiting, is uh, one of the reasons why he's hired uh, Alonzo Carter, who's got a lot of connections in the East Bay and De La Salle, which is a perennial contender for a state title. Yep. Um, he, he hired uh, linebackers coach uh, Scott White from UCLA. So he's got a guy who knows all, who's got Pac-12 recruiting ties. He got uh, his rival, Nevada's scout, uh, scouting coordinator, Eric Scott, to join the staff as the wide receivers coach. And so they, they just they constantly go out there and they sell the program. And, you know, they, 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 they weren't trying to get a quick fix. They were trying to really form a culture. And they slowly they're going to be able to expand their recruiting circles if they continue this wave of success. Yeah, most definitely. Well, you kind of touched on, on it already. Brent Brennan did receive some interest after last season, did sign an extension, stay there. But realistically, how long do you think they can keep him in that program? I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, Boise State was in a similar situation with Chris Peterson, uh, where he was drawing attention and, and left until he found the right job at the University of Washington. What is the right job for Brent Brennan right now? It's obviously San Jose State. He's he's a family man, and uh, from my understanding, and just cares about his people a lot. So I think I think until he feels that he's accomplished the goal that he wanted to at San Jose State, uh, he's gonna make he's gonna make sure he leaves it in a better place than he found it. Good stuff. Well, I'll close with this. Just last question. Well. We'll close with the prediction, but last question before that is, what did last season do for the fan base? Did, did you see a dramatic change as that was uh, unfolding? And obviously it was the COVID year, so things are weird, but is there more excitement around the program this season because of what happened last year? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, they are doing huge renovations, so the capacity of the stadium is down to just over 18,000 uh, 18, people as opposed to regularly with more than 30,000. A lot of the stands are... Uh, being rebuilt and probably won't be ready till 2023, I think. But uh, the, it was near capacity. The student section was uh, rowdy and loud, and the players just raved about it, especially after a COVID-shortened season where there were no fans. The difference between 2019 and 2021 is it, it's you can't really describe it. It was, from my understanding, uh, uh, a couple of students were trying to buy beer, and the, the line was an hour long mm. to buy beer because I'm not sure they were ready for that many fans and uh, just the amount of excitement that is uh, surrounding the program currently. Well, exciting times. Uh, definitely very different stakes for both teams. This is a game that USC is expected to win, and if they were to somehow not win, it would really turn their season on its head after just one week. Uh, whereas this is just a massive opportunity for San Jose State to make a national statement. With everything we've talked about, what is your prediction for Saturday? 
full disclosure, I am a Bruin, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't hold that against me. But uh, I, it, 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 it's hard for me to believe that San Jose State's going to pull off the victory. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect them to uh, uh, lose by two touchdowns either. So I think they'll cover the spread, and I would imagine somewhere in the 38 to 28 range wouldn't be out of the question. Good stuff. Well, that was great insight. We really appreciate your perspective, and we will see you in the Coliseum on Saturday. All right. Thank you very much. And that is our show. Hopefully you feel well prepped for the Trojan season opener Saturday versus San Jose State. We'll come back early next week with a thorough breakdown of that game, analysis, etc., etc., and look ahead to week two. But let's enjoy some football this weekend. Let's enjoy the start of the season and get things going.